Welcome. Thanks for joining. I just wanted to take a moment to encourage anyone who hasn't listened to the very brief intro to the podcast to pause and do so now. It's technically the first episode and provides some helpful context about the nature of this project. So for any new listeners, I think this primer is pretty invaluable, especially considering how this podcast differs from most. I feel as though I'd be selling myself and my audience short if I didn't also comment on the decisions I've made about the way this project will exist in the world. For the moment, Impostors Anonymous begins and ends here. I've elected not to extend this project to any social media platforms as they continue to present uniquely severe and confounding barriers to communicating effectively and objectively. The jury is more than out on the dangers of the double-edged sword that is social media, and though I could spend hours on this topic, and maybe will at some point, I'll save everyone the headache and simply say that I've concluded that it's best for me to keep my distance altogether, if only in an attempt to prioritize my mental health. That being said, social media remains the most effective way to promote a podcast, or virtually anything for that matter. Considering that I would like this podcast to grow and reach as broad an audience as possible, the decision to abstain may prove to be foolish. But even so, it's the path I've decided to take, which is why I think it's important for me to take this time to suggest that if you derive any meaningful utility from this project and its aims, that you consider sharing this podcast with people in your life you feel might share a similar experience. I hope Imposters Anonymous can become more than just a drop in the ocean of content everyone is always being told they have to consume, but a means to start candid and impactful conversations about how we think about ourselves and the strange world we find ourselves in. Where this podcast goes will rely entirely on listeners being compelled enough by this line of reasoning to take the uncommon initiative to subscribe, review, and make an earnest attempt to introduce Imposters Anonymous to their relevant circles. To be honest, that's kind of exciting, and also a bit terrifying. But for better or worse, Here we are, and thanks for giving this a shot. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. Anonymous. Chris, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. How you doing today? I'm chilling. It's a few days after Christmas. The holidays are, you know, sliding into the new year. So um, it's kind of nice to just wrap things up for now and get ready to turn the next page. Yeah. I feel that. I think uh, it's kind of the end of the year. Everybody tends to, at least I feel like, get into a little bit more of a an existential, you know, philosophical mood, you know, where right. we feel like something's coming to an end and, and something might be born anew in the new year. So everybody kind of tends to turn a little bit inward, a little bit reflective, even especially in a year like this where so much oh, yeah. has gone on that has been just unprecedented and, and challenging that everyone is kind of Trying to manage the expectations, you know, for next year, but also just hoping for better in general. Yeah, yeah, kind of aiming smaller, which which isn't bad. I think that's good to have a a universal reset, which is kind of nice because um, 
as much as stuff can be catastrophic, the power of bringing people together on a, you know, on a similar issue is very rare. So I'd, I'd like to hope that um, most people use this to their advantage as far as making themselves better, making their community better, mm-hmm. whatever small changes that we can all make within ourselves to make that little micro adjustment around the world. Kind mm-hmm. of, that'd be nice to see. But obviously, it's all it's all on the next page. Right. <laughs> Got to wait. Yeah, yeah, we'll certainly see. Uh, but even just getting the opportunity to to talk with you a little bit and in more depth over the past couple of days and getting a little bit of a, of a glimpse into your personal perspective, which I find to be pretty unique. Mm. Uh, and I'm just kind of curious about your journey to where you currently are philosophically and, and spiritually, how, what that course has kind of looked like for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, just on a very broad spectrum, I'd say like, uh, I've always been a little different. I've always been the class clown, a little slower, just, just different. And now we're kind of in an era where everyone is kind of, you know, you know, starting to show their difference and like kind of to like where everyone's been closeted for so long based on a scale of normalcy and everyone's coming out and like, oh, this is my my true identity. Mm-hmm. And like everyone's this secret superhero, which is like, I think the draw to, um, you know, individuality nowadays that a, a superhero is actually different than everyone else. They're not normal or, you know, they're just have a very unique skill and how do they apply that to their, you know, to their advantage right. or the world's advantage and so on and so forth. So for me, it wasn't that I was slower or different really. It's just that I spent so much time thinking and being so much deeper in thought. It wasn't about writing the answer on the paper. It was about, the pen gliding against, mm-hmm. you know, fabric that's been mulched into this like pulp. And then from there it flattened out and bleached to this paper. And I'm like, right. I'm in the moment. So I'm like, it's a dance. It's an answer. You know, like, you know, it's a, it's a very deep way to, to spend every day of life, but that's kind of been my day to day meditation. So as I grew older, you know, going through school, quote unquote, it's a little slower and just need extra time and whatever. Um, people realize like, well, you're not dumb or you're not like lacking knowledge. It's just that you're just slow. And then taking that to college where people be like, well, you're probably more skilled for, you know, mechanics or carpentry, things where you don't need to think or you, you don't need to apply of physical or, you know, more mental, but something that was more physical, Mm -hmm. tangible. And um, I kind of pushed that aside and um, decided to go, you know, to college and then through, you know, my roots of my, um, my journey as uh, college unfolded, I I went to different schools and then I, I went to different programs with different aspirations And it wasn't until I hit a philosophy of film where I kind of found the marriage of my two passions. Like I wanted to make films, but I also just didn't want to make movies. I wanted to make philosophy. And I took a philosophy of film course, just kind of not knowing, just looking at the film. And I came to realize, I'm like, 
it was the philosophy that was drawing me into film. And then that's where my philosopher was like kind of, I guess you could say like aha or mm-hmm. chimed into the world a little bit. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a, that's an interesting path. And I think it does, it re- does resonate with me to some extent that I feel like it's, it's different levels of, of exposure and insight to some extent that are, that are out in the world for you to consume. And that I think that film being maybe the most accessible at mm. times that it can kind of be that, uh, gateway drug if you will to to things maybe a bit a bit bigger or more abstract um but just to jump back a little bit actually i'm I'm curious knowing you now and what you just said about how just your process of of thinking and and going through life at a young age do you feel like to some extent it came a bit naturally to you to be a bit more present and and mindful in what you're doing or is that something that you feel like you set an intention for? Um, I'd say very much so very natural because, um, you know, from the get-go, I've always been deep in thought. Even the colors I were attracted to are like very deep purple, you know, kind of very deep colors that kind of promote um, kind of a inner searching, like kind of... Um, like uh, the moment of the sun where it starts dropping behind the horizon and the sky is fading from blue to to mm. what we would call black, but it's really just a darker blue. And the stars start coming out. That's mm. like my favorite hour of the day is that transition is because of how deep the sky gets. Oh, and like, you know, then, then the stars aren't even out yet. So you're not distracted by the luminance of the the evening, but... Just that very rich color was something that I'd say was a feeling that was very natural and similar to my my youth, mm-hmm. to where I didn't really express myself in words. And, you know, my mother was a very typical mother in that she wanted the best for her children. And I think we could all, to some degree, relate to that, whether you were raised by your mother or a grandparent, but there was someone some point that was like wanted the best for you a teacher Mm -hmm. or whatever and i was fortunate to have a mother that wanted the best for me and she interpreted that kind of silence or that kind of inward reflection as a means of a a learning disability which may be true i mean on the scale of whatever education programs we have i may have a different way of learning but as far as the intellect and the gears and the the whole beast that drives the whole uh, engine there um, has always been there. And uh, so my mom wanted to push more so like academically being kind of pampered and having smaller classrooms and Mm -hmm. special testing and like kind of uh, limited my academic growth, uh, not for bad reasons, but just to give me a fair chance. And, um, I never really knew why, but it was because I was so internal, I was so reflexive, and I wasn't thinking about like, oh, tell me the answer so I could remember it. Mm. It was like, I want to know how that answer came about. I want to know the entire journey. I don't want to know the answers. Like even even to tie into my most recent um, school-like experience with the military, they have these boards where you kind of get promoted 
mm-hmm. and you're in front of the elite, you know, your first sergeant and sergeant major, they're kind of giving you the brow, look around. And um, pretty much my leadership, like the just the sergeant above me, which would be just one rank above mm-hmm. compared to the, the first sergeants and sergeant majors that were kind of grilling me. Um, he didn't really prep me because he didn't really have a traditional board. So he's just like, yeah, man, just go with it. So I went in there and just went with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, essentially I was just like, they give you questions like, what is this answer? And you think of militaries. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just straightforward, cut and dry. Philosophy is not cut and dry. It's like having a whole spectrum spilled out on the floor and be like, all right, what's your favorite color? And you're like, well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all pretty nice. <laughs> so, um, so I'm in there and, um, and literally I'm just giving them my best. I feel good. I'm kind of rolling with the questions mm-hmm. and I have these very long answers and they kind of peer out to the point and then they come back and I wrap it up and, and like, pretty much many essays for mm-hmm. answers. And at the end of it, they like stop the board meeting and they're like, Hey man, yeah, this, this isn't exactly, uh, I mean, you're all like philosophical and stuff and you know, we're not into that. We're just looking for simple. Yes. No. Or, you mm-hmm. know, direct answers. We're not really looking for these lavish and, you're just way too philosophical. So we're not going to suggest that you get promoted. And I was just like, cool. Right. <laughs> I was just like, right out, dude. So, uh, so that's just how life is kind of, I think mm-hmm. in the, the black and white of academic um, progress. And, and I don't want to despair anyone from, people that excel in that kind of world because that right. that that's different. Like, you know, I would never discourage someone from being different. And um, so I had to adapt and challenge myself mm-hmm. outside of the box per se. And um, I became the best person that I could up to date. And I will continue to pursue that so long as I accept that part of me mm-hmm. and, you know, in retrospect, it's always a great story. Like it's something that I could share with people that have gone through the boards or gone through school and had similar issues or even people that had, you know, good time at school and super easy. Mm-hmm. I could share with my perspective, like, dude, that's so funny. Or, you know, everyone could relate in some way, shape or form. So I think it's all about the lens that you perceive it. And, you know, I always tend to gear towards a comical relief more mm-hmm. so just for my own sake. It's just how I like to perceive it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably even for our audience right now, even just having heard us for a few minutes and you sharing just a little bit about yourself, it probably comes at a surprise to, to hear that you were in the military mm. and yeah. how that, that seems like something that to be honest, wouldn't be a great fit for, for someone that, uh, has had the sort of experience that you've had in life and the perspective that you had. So I'm curious if you could just speak a little bit to why that came to be a part of your life and, and how you ended up there. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, if you ever go to a public school, it's kind of, you know, very regiment 
you know, you wake up at this time, you show up and you got these classes. So you, you get kind of swept into that academic mind and then you could choose your path. I, I feel like there's only a few real options mm -hmm. outside of like high school and obviously a lot of ways and paths to get there, but like you could go to school and, you know, continue to college or you could pursue a career, you know, trade school or something of that nature. Right. Or you can also, you know, go join, join the army. Like, mm -hmm. cause that's the prime age, like 17, 18 year old kids because you're the most impressionable. And it's without doubt that everyone knows that. I mean, you know, just throughout the treads of time, like, okay, you're very vulnerable, impressionable between the ages of, you know, 13 and 20. Like, mm -hmm. it's probably where you're going to get your most molding out of any individual. And the military is something of that nature where they're not trying to uh, find soldiers, they're trying to create soldiers. And um, so that, that was something I was always able to think of. Mm -hmm. But again, my free spirit kind of always kept me away from it. And going through college, you know, taking the hard route, obviously military would have been easy physically, different spiritually, you know, career would have been easy, you know, kind of a good balance between them all and the academic approach. Going to college would have been probably the most difficult. And of course, I chose the most difficult path um, as the challenge. Like I wasn't going to back into my weakness per se. So, um, again, as I already discussed about finding philosophy and pursuing it, I ran into like ancient Greek philosophy. And um, okay. so there is a man named Socrates. Everyone knows him by association or by name mm -hmm. or you know, by, by studying, you know, by some shape or form, Socrates makes a, an appearance in our culture, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's in like, um, uh, you know, pop art or whether it's in, you know, some kind of Renaissance art or some kind of reference, even Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. They go mm -hmm. visit Socrates, man. <laughs> right. And um, so he was one who I would say is like a grandfather to the, the Western world of thinking. And he himself was very systematically loyal to the city of Athens and Along with that, um, every Athens male had to serve in the army, and he was in the Peloponnesian War. And he he was not just an asset, but he was actually a contender to being a great, you know, soldier out there okay. with his brethren. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, he he was recognized and appreciated for that, but then he didn't dwell in it. It then became a career. And just like he kind of like, you ask of this of me and I'm going to pursue it and then pay my respects and then step away. And um, amongst all my travels around the world, there's always that kind of voice in the back of your head that kind of like your conscience or your heart or your gut, mm. wherever the emotion stems from, that's, that's kind of like, hey, man you're running out of time, you know, you're, you're stemming the tail end of your youth. And mm -hmm. it's just like, what about the military? Like, you know, you got friends in Norway by, by their, you know, local laws, every male has to join the army for mm -hmm. two years minimum. And like, you know, I'm like, okay, like 
I put the whole world's perspective in, into my position. I'm like, we're very fortunate that our army is voluntary so long as there's not a conflict or, you know, mm-hmm. a war going on. And all the people that I've been getting, um, you know, kind of hospitality from across the world have been primarily military people. So it's just like the overwhelming uh, guilt that was kind of creeping up on me in the background of my own subconscious Mm -hmm. was kind of like, hey, you need to pay respects to this thing that you've been avoiding for a long time. And it was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to face my my fears or whatever, despite my, my personal beliefs of the army, I'm going to pursue it mm-hmm. and make that personal sacrifice and commit myself for something for at least five, maybe eight years. And, um, and then, you know, be done with it and kind mm-hmm. of graduate and then continue on with my philosophical journey. So, um, as you know, I just completed my five years, uh, this November, you know, I'm just fresh back into, right. you know, civilization and, you know, in the ironic comparison to um, the Odyssey, I feel like I've been on this epic journey of just trying to get back home or just trying to get back into like my footing mm-hmm. as far as the world's concerned. But everything is in such disarray where it's like it is kind of getting undershadowed of like, you know, my own personal journey. So it's like. Now I have to juggle like this kind of new reality compared Mm. to like what I left as. And it's like, it's such a unique contrast to where I, I can't even be disappointed by it because I, I've been enriched by this very unique moment of time. And again, I'm still trying to be very optimistic about it more so to where I'm motivated by the, the sheer, you know, comedy of it all. And I know it's tragic, you know, at the end of the day, but um, I I just can't dwell on the negative for so long without feeling like, all right, I'm going to spin this into motivation. I'm going to write a a mock story based on Mm -hmm. the odyssey about my journey in the army and like, how can I cloak and compare it to like his journey, Mm -hmm. the sirens and all that compared to my journey coming out during a pandemic, like. You know, it's just like throughout time, this has just been a thing where, you know, a soldier wins a war and on his way home, he gets lost for 10 years just mm-hmm. trying to find his wife. And right. and at the end of the day, it's kind of funny, but it's also very tragic and, and grueling the whole yeah. time. But, you know, it's also, it's been thousands of years now since that story has taken place and how many more have happened in between then? Yeah, it's it's certainly a an incredible reminder of how how little we really are in control of, and how poorly we typically, I, I guess, perform in regards to predicting how things will be in the relatively near future. Where it's just it's so hard to think about five years from now, mm. and. You can try, and I think we have to live our lives expecting that things will be relatively similar in five years, because what else do we know? But it's a very interesting time frame in your situation specifically to kind of take this this very strange and abstract step to, step away from your, I guess, normal life at that point for 
that span of time and then to return and in a lot of ways not necessarily recognize a lot of what yeah. is at play, you know, but that Absolutely. is kind of, we find ourselves in that state and in a lot of different circumstances, whether it be a, a relationship or a university or a creative project or a job where we kind of get tunnel vision for a period of time, maybe five years or four years for college, you know, it, I think that span of time is relative for most people that will just view life in a very specific way through a specific mm-hmm. lens for a time. And then you are forced to step back when something this big happens. And it's only then do you really process how much has changed mm-hmm. and how, how different things were la- the last time you reassessed everything, you know, right. even though you've still been kind of working with that same operating system, if you will, since then. Yeah, that's uh that's a good perspective to kind of share as well as like everyone has this kind of four to five year chunks where mm-hmm. life kind of transitions and, you know, college four or five years regarding and maybe if you want a doctorate, you shift to another four or five year program mm-hmm. and, and then your life changes after that where you got four or five years to feel out a job. And so that's very interesting that we have these kind of in inherent chapters kind of where we're we're moving on to the next book per se and um you know we're we're kind of challenged to constantly kind of anticipate the future with the obvious like the complete unknown of what what it will bring and like that's probably where one of my gifts inherently is Mm -hmm. to not so much dwell in the future uh, I notice, like, I bother people who are very schedule-oriented mm-hmm. because they'll be like, well, what are your plans for the future? That's a, that's a very common question. Like, oh, now that you're out, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going <laughs> to sit down and maybe sleep in a day or mm-hmm. two. Two, I'm not going to shave for a while and see how that feels. And, like, you know, it's just like... I'm going to do the very mundane things in everyday life and then just enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, and granted like a great thinker or innovator or an inventor, you know, like an Einstein kind of thinker, you know, anyone that's a visionary, I'm sure didn't just sit back and like ride on the roller coaster of life and was like yeah man whatever happens like this computer's just gonna make itself and i'm like yeah. I'm, I'm sure it takes a lot of discipline and whatnot but um as far as life is concerned like as much as they've done great things with their time and mm-hmm. created such great inventions and whatnot like just think of like how much time and how much life they devoted to it. And then like, are they getting the most of their own life versus Mm -hmm. like contributing, you know, being a sacrifice for an advancement of mankind. Right. And, um, that, that's probably one of the philosophical, um, foundings or, you know, findings that I come across in my studies of philosophy which then can be interpreted as a kind of a passiveness or a kind of like, wow, you really lost a lot of ambition. 
Mm -hmm. but it's really the technique I go about life has changed Mm -hmm. and that it's so subtle that it's not like, it's like a a sleight of hand where the magician's kind of distracting you, but the other hand's really doing all the work. Mm -hmm. And then as you're watching the wand, really, boom, there's your bouquet of flowers. And it's like, well, how did that happen? It's because we're all focusing on the wand. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going on. We're kind of constantly getting distracted. And like, that's kind of, that's how I live my life. It's like, I don't want people to know what I'm doing. I don't want them to, to be worried. I want them to be at complete ease. So it's Mm -hmm. like, if I'm in the company of, you know, in, in Japan or something, for example, um, you know, I'm going to be Japanese while I'm there. I'm not going to try to push my agenda. I'm not going to try to push my goal. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to truly embrace and become one of these people. And I'm going to truly take my my shoes off at the door and leave them until it's time for me to leave. And then I could assume my role again. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, are you just floating around? Or are you just like, you know, what are you doing with your time? And it's like, I might not be the one to engineer a program that can mm-hmm. save the world. Like I can already realize that in myself, but nonetheless, I think every great thinker, every great creator mm-hmm. has to at some point pull themselves out and then just live life. Like kind of like Einstein, he rode his bike to get a, a sheer taste of, of life mm-hmm. and simple thrills and joys. And I think nowadays, especially because technology is so predominantly um, the tool in which that we communicate or function or, you know, integrate our life into society, Mm -hmm. that we kind of forget about the little things in life. Like we're definitely, yeah, we've adopted cloud nine. And as we're up here, our bodies are just kind of, you know, crashing into things. And we're just kind of, you know, reacting to the best we can. But I mean, in its purest essence, if if you just step back from your ambitions and your goals and your dreams and all the things that you aspire to be mm-hmm. and just look at where you are and just take a second to enjoy it, mm-hmm. I guarantee you'll start to begin to excel at what you're you're aiming to do because you now appreciate where you are and now you know how to continue that appreciation while moving forward. So you never have fear of where you are. You're always grounded. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess you could say it's like a mantra or something that kind of just gets you back into yourself. And, um, you know, so that is something that is very important for this day and age that we, we kind of practice as far as, um, you know, a day-to-day routine goes is, is just reconnect ourselves to our very, very moment and then move on. And then mm-hmm. you can do whatever from there. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting perspective, especially because to me, it sounds like some of what you're speaking to is your journey of kind of reclaiming yourself or whatever that means and, and mm-hmm. how it relates to personal identity because you spent time and it's something we've spoken about a little off the record in the military in which you in a way are kind of your your government property you know and you 
your identity is you're supposed to kind of check that at the door whatever you, you come in as uh yeah similar to what you just said though in a way as far as you go to japan and you, you metaphorically and literally take your shoes off at the door and even coming on to this project that is something i kind of try to some extent to ask my guests to do is to some extent leave some of those preconceived notions at the door and just mm. to kind of come on and, and focus on direct experience and how fluid that identity that you feel like you have can be, especially for someone like you who takes more of that perspective of, you know, wherever you are, you're kind of trying to, you know, be like water and, and take on mm. the the form and the the culture and the just the vibe of wherever you are. And it leaves you with this very fluid and, and to some extent, ever-changing version of yourself mm. that I'll certainly be interested to see how these next few months and year unfold for you as you spend more time just kind of living life in, in different spaces and places and seeing what how you feel like you relate to that at right. this point. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious too. I mean, <laughs> it'd be yet another comical uh, story to to look back on as they happen, of course. Yeah, for sure. Um, but one thing of note that just came up that, that seems to be a little bit of a recurring theme for you, and you mentioned it several minutes ago, and I wanted to just circle back that I believe you were talking about different routes that you could have taken. Mm at a certain point in your life. And you said something really interesting to me that you said, well, that would have been the most challenging. So of course I did that. Mm, right, right. And to you, that seemed like it was just kind of this certain, there was an automaticity to it. Like if it's clear, Yeah. but I, I don't feel like that's how the average person operates per se. And I'm, I'm curious where that perspective comes from or why you, you feel like you've, gone out of your way to present yourself with challenges in mm. life yeah that's uh that that would be part of my self-searching that um isn't a hundred percent polished because uh i've been doing it for so long it's probably more so like a, a habit than anything but um but but you're right it's it's something that's inherent to me and obvious but for the regular day-to-day go most people are not going to take the long route or they're mm. not going to take the uh the obscure subway that goes around the city as opposed to that <laughs> goes straight to work like right so um i think for me um primarily um as i'm trying to resonate with my animal my inner being the human that is mm -hmm. an animal and then the spiritual dwelling of our minds which are still the day like a complete mystery even to science like oh yeah ever changing like from the 50s to now like how many different you know exams have they done and everyone is always kind of a little different outcome and oh yeah here's the latest and greatest i'm like oh cool everyone buys it and then the next thing you know, i'm like that's wrong this one's better so it's like right. all right forget the human mind like i'm not going to try to break it down with science but um Inherently, if you take like a philosopher like Descartes, who starts his meditations with um, like um, he's sitting in a room with a wax candle and he's starting to analyze a candle. Like, is it wax or, or what is it? Like, once mm -hmm. if I mold it into this and that, 
which is kind of like a Buddhist concept. You can say where is the golden line? Is it a line? Is it gold? What is it? Like, you know, mm -hmm. so things kind of have their shape and form. And from a very young age, I've always kind of related more so to animals and nature and okay. kind of always this kind of longing distance where even right now I could look out the window and I could see the, the temperature and the sun and all the plants that have to endure that, that outside climate. But here I am comfortably inside. Mm -hmm. And metaphorically, we're comfortably in our own head, but sometimes we're not so exactly in our own body. And so I've kind of analyzed nature as my go-to teacher. And I've always gone to my cats and my dogs and because they're the ones that you open up the door and they, they disappear all day. I'm like, where mm -hmm. are they going? Yeah. Right? So it stems a curiosity. So I analyzed the cats. I'm like, all right, they go out and climb in a tree, hunting birds. I'm like, does this thing even have to come back to eat or is it just easier? Mm -hmm. So then the cat goes out for the day, you know, gets what it wants and comes back and we feed it some food and water and Maybe it might disappear all night mm -hmm. and do its thing. And so taking that to the next level, like I've always internalized, I'm like, I have to, I have to endure the, the harder, harsher reality of, of life. Like I can't just comfortably ignore it and just succumb to the simplicity mm -hmm. um, as much as it's great and nice and we could, we could dwell on it and kind of excel. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like without that contrast of resistance, just like gravity, like mm -hmm. if we were all weightless, then our bones would get weak. There'd be no point of lifting anything. We'd float around. Right. We might actually be able to teleport places very instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And having that really doesn't sound that enjoyable once you compare it to the beauty of nature. And um, I've, I began to deliberately make that challenge being like kind of a, um, a ritual to where like, you know what, I'm gonna hang out in the backyard or I'm, I'm gonna only go out with this jacket on, mm -hmm. even though it's freezing cold. And it's just like, yeah, I'm gonna suffer a little bit, but will I die? Like. I'm going to another building in 30 minutes and it's like, I will be uncomfortable, but I know that the human body has survived this moment thousands upon countless times in the past. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I need to start instilling that trust in my own body and like kind of reconnecting to the very simple element that is us mm -hmm. you know the human being and primarily i mean if you want me to dive into that whole story about mm -hmm. you know me getting my ritual message from a a, a what do you call it a feral cat mm -hmm. um i could dive in to that story a little later but um essentially when i was spending time in greenwich connecticut for those who don't know that area, um, it's very wealthy, very old money. Mm -hmm. It's so old that no one makes money in that town, but they all have it. Yeah. So it's kind of a beautiful thing of societal, like, all right, these people inherit money and they have these nice houses and they 
live their very budgeted lifestyle. So everyone's kind of frantic. And when the market crashes, everyone's really depressed because that mm. matters to them. And I'm just walking through it all, just beard and all, just flowing through this beautiful town, beautiful mm -hmm. houses, beautiful nature. You know, I, I've, I've run into squirrels, possums, raccoons, coyotes, like all these kind of unique animals and unique relation in mm. such a very like kind of high sought out like wealthy town right and everyone's so focused on everything but that and i'm sh i'm sure there's people in there that do appreciate yeah, their trees in their backyard but um you know i would actually walk in between the sidewalks and cut through people's backyards and cut through people's neighborhoods mm -hmm. and take these obscure long routes around as I'm walking to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And I'd put on my headphones and I'd listen to the Dao De Jing. And if you do not know what the Dao De Jing is, and that's for anyone, it's uh, the Book of the Way, which is uh, written by Lao Tzu. And mm -hmm. Lao Tzu is a hermit from you know the old china um and he kind of hit that kind of awkward relation with his societal you know people his his fellow mankind at the time and he's like you know what the way you guys are going like you're, you're really stepping away from you know what confucius was kind of you know built up for us so i'm gonna leave this beautiful town and I'm going to go live in the wilderness mm -hmm. and whether or not um, this was jokingly or kind of just folklore supposedly the guard on his way out was like hey man since you're leaving dude why don't you write me a book about like life or something dude and, like kind of mocking him yeah. he's just like yeah you know what I will so he wrote 81 stanzas or like little poems mm -hmm about the way to live life. And um, I lucked out, it was on this iPod that someone gave me, oh, you know, wow. a gift from a friend and like, granted the iPod may, may not have been worth much seeing how the iPhone 5 was coming out, but that that plethora of the Dao De Jing on, uh, what was it, on the audiobook on that thing was all I needed. Mm -hmm. So I'd plug that in and I'd walk to the grocery, It'd take me about 45 minutes to get there. I'm halfway through the book and then 45 minutes on the way back, I get the other half of the book. Mm -hmm. And not only was I entangled in this very unique nature of Greenwich, but I was also unwinding its kind of subtle secrets from a master and, you know, using common technology. And that's where I kind of like instilled the very pure um, desire to always take the longer route, you know, mm. always kind of give yourself a little resistance. Not that I deliberately have to punish myself, but um, to some degree, you know, challenge yourself a little bit. Do something that you're not comfortable doing. Do, do something that won't make you feel that comfortable. And, um, you know, obviously take it in small steps and kind of gauge where you're at. But nonetheless, um, I've, I've kind of really adopted and like, you know what, life, life is hard, mm -hmm. you know, like the Buddhist teaching life is suffering. And the, the sooner you get to understanding that, the sooner you could resume that progress and you could just continue on. 
Right. It's like a little hiccup that we have a hard time getting over. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to go right around it. Yeah. I think it, it brings up an interesting point that I think might resonate with people who even tend to have more of a, whether you call it type A or analytical mindset right. as mm-hmm. far as looking at it in terms of opportunity costs and to, to bring it back to your analogy about, you know, your cats or dogs growing up and just thinking about, okay, what, what is, what is technically being lost or potentially being lost if that cat does elect to come home and get fed every night? And I think in most cases it will, right? You know, my experience with vets that, you know, they generally want the free food. It, It seems like a pretty good gig, but I don't know if the cat is necessarily sitting there meditating on what, aspect of its you know its vitality its its vigor and life its its instincts its <laughs> its skills right. as yeah. a hunter is it maybe losing if on a nightly basis it kind of settles up by the fire and, and eats its <laughs> its kibbles and bits yeah. you know it's kind of just like this is nice um but as humans we seem to and maybe this is, this is obviously all assumption but we seem to think of it in a different way that we Sure. And in more common terms, most people do kind of seek out the path, the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And but I I feel like it's very common to not consider what we might be losing when Mm. we're doing that. And in any decision we make in life, it's it's very easy to think in terms of, okay, what is what's going to save me time or what's going to save me effort? But it's rare that we really think about what could potentially be just marginally over time, you know, the small changes, the subtle changes in your psyche, the way that the habits that you form, just the little things that if, if that is always what you jump to, or that is always your reaction to kind of pull back whenever something's a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit, a little bit strange. If, if that becomes your default, what are you really losing at that point? Mm -hmm. And there's obviously not a clear answer to that, but it does seem like there's something at play that we as humans used to be more in touch with, whether that be the natural world or our instincts or our sense of gratitude or appreciation Mm. or mindfulness, all of those things, some combination of that, that in this modern world that we've constructed that in many ways is beautiful and, and amazing and has solved so many problems. We rarely, put in focus the well-being of each individual in a society as we built it. You know, it wasn't, it didn't ever seem like that was the goal. It was more to your point about kind of the Einsteins or the great inventors. It's the sense of, of progress for progress sake, or, you know, as something we've talked about before, just the pursuit of knowledge as opposed to wisdom mm-hmm. and thinking about, okay, sure, this is valuable, but how does it apply and how is it making our lives better? in a moment to moment basis. Right. Um, something that I've been trying to integrate into my life more so recently, but it's, it's difficult, you know, mm. to, to think in those terms and to put your well being and just you know, the quality of your conscious mind in every moment at above everything else. Right. And sometimes that seems very strange, you know, it, it manifests itself in different ways because you never know 
what someone is dealing with or what's going on in their head. Mm -hmm. So you can see them behaving in the world and you could see them sitting on a couch doing nothing and make all kinds of assumptions about what is going on or what's good for them or what they need to be doing. But they could be living a much better life than you, you know, <laughs> and there's no evidence yeah. that that's not the case, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, as we're on that, like, uh, I, I spent a small portion of my life while in Greenwich living on the streets, kind mm -hmm. of as what I would say a hobo, you know, and a hobo is kind of a misconception of, um, where, uh, it's like, oh, it's like a bum. And it's just like, well, all right, these are all just names we kind of slap again. Mm -hmm. Just like you just said, like we're looking at this person from our point of view and we're trying to empathize in theory um, with their perspective. I'm like, well, he looks totally capable of working. You can mm -hmm. probably get a job at the local, you know, diner or something. Like, why, why doesn't he just do that? Mm -hmm. And then like, you don't know if this guy's living the highest life at, that that we know. Right. And, um, and again, like having that kind of perspective, um, is very important to just kind of allow people to, to do their thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so like, because of my experience, I don't really pity the homeless at all. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, I understand like you're walking down a street in the city and you just see like a movie theater, kind of a little niche where mm -hmm. someone's laying down on some cardboard I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, let me set up the cardboard to keep the, the heat transfer from hitting the ground. Mm -hmm. And I analyze, I'm like, all right, this guy's got himself a nice pad here. Mm -hmm. And most people are like, what are you doing? Don't look over there. Like, you know, that's disgusting. Or these poor people. I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, like, I understand. Like, right, maybe. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you don't this, know. But I don't want to pity him because mm -hmm. this person has taken the time to set themselves up with a little nook and mm. they're doing it right so like they're at least taking the life-saving measures to mm -hmm. to survive and i'm like at the end of the day that's all we're trying to do it's it's whether you you want to survive in a house or you survive in the wilderness mm -hmm. and um when i traveled to argentina um granted there were plenty of homeless people as as you've probably seen them across the entire world mm -hmm. but uh my favorite part of argentina cordoba uh specifically okay. was uh there were street dogs everywhere oh yeah and um I'd, I'd roll up on the street and there'd be a different pack and then some would be just kind of chilling in their little stoop just waiting for <laughs> some random food to come by mm -hmm. i'm like this is kind of pleasant. It's like these these day-to-day -day animals that we've grown accustomed. And I'd say cats are more, you know, mm -hmm. um, popular or just more common as far as seeing on the street. And like, oh, is that a stray? Or because cats are just kind of like that. Mm -hmm. The dogs are kind of seen as like a man's best friend and, um, you know, very kind of pampered little mm -hmm. animals. But we don't really see them in the wild too often. Right. But in Argentina, they were just a common occurrence. And I've grown to really like the the street mm -hmm. dog because it's like, oh, here's, here's a little buddy guy running down the street. Or mm -hmm. this funny dog found a hot dog. Like someone didn't want that meal. And it, was like, it added so much character to the city. And like, meanwhile, everyone else, again, floating in the clouds. Like everyone's got their agenda. And then the only 
only things around it that were like free to hang out or were mm-hmm. living life were these dogs. And I'm like, the dogs are what make it here. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I, I will not be able to talk to any of these people. I don't speak Spanish. I'm sure most of them understand English, but it's not like I could dive into a good conversation, but I can at least sit back and enjoy the company of these, right. these dogs roaming around the streets. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, it's a, it's about perspective, not to say that anyone's perspective is better than another because you may want to house every homeless dog. You may want to house every homeless person. But at mm-hmm. that time, you have to realize that there are programs like that. And are they the best? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But also not everyone wants that, even if they are homeless. And we, we just kind of have to allow them you know, we just have to put ourselves in their shoes and not put put our shoes on someone else. Right. And that's that's I think a very easily misconceived um use of that mm-hmm. that phrase. And you know, that's that's another little subtle joy I have in life that uh that I often I feel like can cause conflict, especially with such heightened like um I guess you could say like public awareness that we have, like mm-hmm. everything seems to be very amplified and having such a subtle, different perspective on it. That's kind of unique to my own perspective um, may come off offensive to people, but um, I, I truly invite them to expand their, their perspective. And I, I would never discourage them from sharing that. So um, I, I, I just would hate to hinder my own perspective on life because it's kind of entertaining mm-hmm. at times and in the sense of giving me positive motivation and being heartful towards every living creature mm-hmm. on this planet, not so, you know, taking pity on anyone. So that's, that has been my gem through life. That's mm-hmm. got me through so much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, this is more of a, an opinion to some extent, but I don't think pity ever got anyone anywhere. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's even sympathy is, is kind of useless, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of a step up in that hierarchy mm-hmm. where it's, you, you, you feel bad, but it's, it's also, it's destructive in a way because it also makes you feel bad. Mm-hmm. So you're not, not only are you not helping them, but you are kind of taking on their, uh, your projections onto them mm-hmm. of what they're experiencing. So you're making assumptions about their state and their suffering, and it's also making you suffer. So it, it's kind of a lose-lose there. And then you have empathy, which I think definitely has value. Mm-hmm. I think it has limitations because we never really can empathize. I mean, we can approach empathy and we can aim for empathy. And I think that's noble but you never really know what it's like to be anyone else. And you can share a similar set of experiences or uh, a similar perspective. And that can be incredibly valuable for people who feel like their experiences are uniquely tragic or difficult. And to learn that there's others who have been through similar things or had similar thoughts that they, you know, assumed made them seem crazy or, Mm. you know, totally alone and, so there's certainly value there, but at the same time, I think it sometimes can be a limitation because we assume 
oh, like, yeah, I, I also went through that growing up. So like, I get it, you know, that assumption that we're on the same page just because we share a similar experience or, um, uh, any immutable quality about mm. ourselves that we assume, okay, like we're, we're together. Um, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit off base, even though yeah. I think in its core, it's a noble thing to want. And then I guess the final thing is, is compassion, which in theory is kind of the hardest, but maybe the most useful. Mm. And that's, that's to essentially just to want to help others. Mm-hmm. And, I guess it's only relevant as it manifests itself into action. So granted, I think that's, that's the aim. And sometimes even that can come off the wrong way or that can come off as pity or sympathy or empathy when you just have a, a true desire to help others suffer less or to feel better. And it's, it's hard to know how to place that, but I'll I'll table that for for another time. <laughs> yeah. It's just something that kind of reminded me when you when you mentioned pity and how we just tend to to see others and and make assumptions about their experience. And I think we all can agree to some extent that we want to live in a society where people have options mm-hmm. and where people right, have agency. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and in an ideal world, no one's living on the street because they have no other options or because they're severely mentally ill and their medication has been cut off and there's nowhere else for them to go. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want that, but we also don't want to tell people how to live their lives more so than we have to. And we want to people to be able to have the option to, to live different lifestyles and to think different ways if that's how they elect to, but mm-hmm. just to have enough of uh, a safety net to fall back on so that they, they have options and I think that is how things generally used to be in, in smaller, we'll just say tribes, you know, yeah, in a yeah. hunter-gatherer state, you had mm-hmm. the community to fall back on. Everyone knew everyone and you didn't have, you only had so much to keep track of. And if someone was down, everyone was there to pick them up. And nowadays it's, it's just not that way. And in some places still, I'm sure more so than it is here. Like a small in the town, more so than like a city, mm-hmm. perhaps. Right. Um, but it is, it is difficult to find ways to, to make sure that, that there is a safety net and that the floor is only so low, you know, Mm -hmm. because the floor can be so fucking low, you know, when you see how some people live and how much some people suffer Mm -hmm. that we, we don't want that, uh, as much as we can avoid it, but it's, it's often a very hard one to solve for and to figure out how to still incentivize the, the things that we considered to be, I guess, pro-social or things mm-hmm. that are, are generally beneficial. You know, like we want people to have the option to, to go to school or to get educated. We mm-hmm. want them to have the option to, to have work and to make a living wage and, and all these reasonable things. But at the same time, it's, it's much harder to ensure that while still allowing people to live free lives as, as free thinkers and free actors in the world. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, I guess you could say a very narrow line mm-hmm. to walk along. Yeah, we can only hope for balance, I think, would be the best. Mm-hmm. So, a little bit of balance of everything. And, yeah, I think us as humans, I think we have a lot of potential. And I think if everyone just kind of dings along, boom, and has that kind of subtle enlightenment, I think, uh, 
I think that a lot can change very rapidly mm-hmm. if that were to happen. It's kind of like that book you mentioned where the opposite effect, someone watches movies completely life unravels. Oh, infinite chance. But yeah. yeah, so my theory would be like getting them to come to that complete sheer enlightenment where they're like, you know, life fully, you know, accelerates and they're just like, I'm at peace. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, now everyone else like bing 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 mm-hmm. just one by one just hitting peace mm-hmm. but uh again there's no there's no right path to get there either so it's it's a challenge mm-hmm. it's a challenge yeah. face to deal with no absolutely and and obviously you've you faced a a fair amount of challenges probably both self-imposed and just naturally stumbled upon right but I'm curious whether it be in your time kind of spent wandering or your your time in the military or time spent on different survival situations. Have you ever had any moments where you kind of, for lack of a better way of saying it, just questioned it all or questioned putting yourself through that and, and wanted to kind of maybe resign to a, a, a simpler life or a more normal one in yeah. a sense or is that something that you feel like kind of just doesn't tend to phase you or, or cross your mind right that that does cross my mind in very extreme moments and um most recently you could say my rapid deployment to uh kuwait to respond to iraq starting 2020 mm-hmm. um was kind of a challenge because of the things we were being told we had to do, like literally drop in the middle of a city, you mm-hmm. know, Baghdad, and everyone's watching the news and they're like, oh, there's all this protest and riot going on and whatever. So, like, you're, you're getting amped up. You're like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, they're just going to drop us off there. Mm-hmm. Like, we are targets. Like, it's just like logic right. is starting to. Mm. it's just like well, why would i subject myself to this like you know and it's mm. just like is this what it's come down to like now i've become you know like so there was that moment like a samurai which would be like my go-to for you know soldier discipline would be like a samurai and they were the most extreme of the buddhists where you know we, we often think of buddhists with the lotus flower and kind of just floating there and kind of life is all good Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's my brother and sister or everyone's just part of my inner universe. And right. you take that concept and bring it to the end of the spectrum all the way at, at Japan where you have like Zen Buddhism where, uh, and then you start stemming these warriors that have this disconnection to life and how mm-hmm. life is suffering. Like, it's just like, I like to be a samurai, you first must accept death. Mm-hmm. Like you are, challenging your life to meet and face death Hmm. like every victory you have it's unfortunate because you didn't face your ultimate challenge like you know like you just survived another one and you just become this like this kind of a machine just longing for your demise Hmm. and not to say that was like my mentality that i was just waiting to hit my dead end and say Mm -hmm. this was it but um, in order to survive that experience, I've had to accept death. Mm-hmm. I had to accept that my friends and family would never see me again. I had to accept that. 
yeah. that in order to survive, I had to understand that I was dead, mm-hmm. that I would not come back. And not to say like, you know, I, I dwelled on it. it. It was more so I accepted it as my, this was my time. Mm-hmm. Once I accepted it, just like any other hiccup, I was free from the hindrance of the emotions that were kind of challenging and doubting. Like, why would you put yourself in this situation? Why didn't you do this? Or this, Mm -hmm. you could have got out of this. You could have been here. You could have done all this kind of chaos, kind of overwhelming in your head. And um, again, it's like I, I had to coddle that kind of obsession of life being something where it's this romanticized grandiose journey where everyone has like the perfect life, the perfect car, the perfect structure and like, and all the things you do just leading up to something colossal. And, and, and that all kind of goes out the window when you're faced with something much greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And part of it was like the, Oh, I wish I didn't do this. Or I wish I was a little more safe for mm-hmm. was the fact that I didn't want to disappoint you know, my family, I didn't want them to be the ones to have to bury me or deal with my demise. Like right. on a individual level, just like uh, one of my cats, he walked out into the woods and my dad watched him from the window and he's like, he's going out to die. And he respected this cat's journey, mm-hmm. but it wasn't his time yet. Like the mm-hmm. cat never left the house. Yeah. Except for one day, like in his decrepit old body just wandered off the back corner of the mm-hmm. yard but it wasn't his time yet so he returned but <laughs> nonetheless like uh you know i i wouldn't want anyone to suffer from my decisions mm-hmm. that that's probably what the lingering guilt would be um you know there was times where i i would go out swimming in the middle of the ocean and I got caught into like not an undertow, but kind of an out current where I was essentially get, yeah. getting pushed out mm-hmm. further. And I was like, Oh shoot. And I, again, I started panicking a little bit and I'm like, I'm all the way out here, like where the buoys are and like mm-hmm. the boats are starting to drive around. I'm like, you know, it's like, now I have to swim all the way back to shore somehow. And again, I just like, and these ties just keep throwing me back. So I'm like, all right, I have to survive this moment. And I just had to calm down. And I started breaststroking my way back. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, what a stupid mistake to put myself to jeopardize mm-hmm. so little, just reaching out for the buoy or something, something like that. Yeah. And um, so there's many cases to where you have these kind of awakening moments to where like you become wiser, perhaps like. Mm-hmm you know, putting your finger in a, a socket is what a child would do because they don't know the the possibilities of what that socket can do. It's mm-hmm. just a hole in the wall, you know, so curiosity versus like, you know, stupidity perhaps. And it's when I think that you have the foresight where you can say like, oh, if I go jump out of a plane without a parachute, I will you know, 99.9% chance of dying. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be a chance that I could like somersault last second, blah, 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 and all this crazy stuff that you imagine yeah. in your head. But nonetheless, like you are, mm-hmm. if you're subjecting yourself to extreme risk mm-hmm. and like you're not at peace with the rest of the family having to deal with your demise, then 
that's on me making poor decisions. So I would say there's, there's probably once in a while or a few times where I do run into them like, why am I doing this? Or, you know, why have I subject myself to such extreme danger um, mm. without it really giving any reward or whatever? And I think a story that we've or, or has been very commonly um you know, read and or watched is the, the story of uh, Chris. Um, I forget his last name, but he's a oh, uh, walk into the wild or into the wild. Yeah, yeah. So th- that's an example of someone who had a similar ambition to me. I'm like, yo, burn up the, the Soch and like, mm-hmm. let's go just travel the world as a Native American or mm-hmm. like into my spirit, which is a good idea. Like, you know, that's very heartfelt. Mm-hmm. but what are you doing to secure like are you making the right choices or decision or are you educating yourself before mm-hmm. you go out there or are you just subjecting yourself to danger without mm-hmm. really doing it properly right. and um you know granted it's a very heartfelt tragic story as we see him make the wrong decision eating the wrong plant and just mistake after mistake leading to his demise Mm-hmm. To where, from our perspective as the viewer and reader, that we could seem like, dude, there was a bridge just down the road, or there's a if you just took a map and looked mm-hmm. at it, you'd notice like this and that, and um, you know it, it becomes unfortunate. So I've I've come to wisen up. I'm like, if I'm gonna do something stupid. I'm going to be smart about it. Classic mm-hmm. army saying, right? <laughs> yeah. So like if I'm going to subject myself to a challenge like sleeping outside, which I've done plenty of times, but you know, sometimes I go out in, in like the, the park, the state park, and I'm going to sleep out here and try to sleep in the middle of a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. You know, that seemed adventurous and I had a safety plan. A friend was picking me up the next morning. So I only had to survive the night, but you know, I was sleeping on a thing of ice and I didn't have the right sleeping gear and I didn't set up the right sleeping pad. And like, I was like freezing out there. Mm-hmm. And like, again, it was, it was controlled enough, but like, had I done that in a deeper wilderness where there wasn't a friend coming back to me, like right. that, that would have been, been stupid mm-hmm. for no reason. And, um, so, like, at least I, I've wisened up to have control to my stupidity, mm-hmm. to say the lack of a better word, but uh, to those challenges that I do for myself. And um, at the end of the day, it's, I, I should never, I don't ever want to become a burden to anyone. I don't want anyone to deal with this hardship. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's kind of gives me that pressure to really purify my my craft like if i'm going to be sleeping in the bushes then i better be good at it mm-hmm. like i better ensure i'm like you know what when i step out today i'm going to survive you know like i'm going to have all the power in my hand mm-hmm. and if it's a freak show accident that gets me then say a la vie like you know that's just the luck of the draw you know that's just the mm-hmm. overpending doom that we all face but at least I took all the precautions and the right steps to prevent anything silly or, you mm-hmm. know, unfortunate from happening. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little curious. I know we've, I guess not on the record today, gotten into so much about some of the extreme situations you've, 
been faced with and subjected yourself to in your military experience, but I'm more so curious if you feel like there's anything in particular that you did gain from that experience that is is proving to serve you well now that you've stepped away from it, or does that feel mm. like kind of a a separate stage of life? Um, well, the military in its whole essence is um, definitely a, um, I guess you'd call it a circus, I guess, for the sake of a friendly analogy where, you know, it starts off with all wakes of life. Like you're talking people from every corner of America, essentially mm -hmm. anyone with a, you know, that wants to be American or is American. You mm -hmm. can be nationalized through the army by serving with three years. So there's people who aren't exactly, you know, American born and raised mm -hmm. uh, trying to get nationalized, um, which is kind of cool. It's a cool concept. Uh, so we had a Georgian guy, like a guy from Georgia. Oh, yeah. And uh, he kind of reminded me of a Roberto Benini, if you know who mm -hmm. he is. He's like a old-timey comedian. And he's like, Chris, oh, you're so cool and relaxed, man. Like, <laughs> and I was just like, all right, hey, what's up, man? And, uh, so, like, he was, he was like a like the little bit of comedy and like the whole introduction mm -hmm. of my uh, basic training. And then like yeah, a really good friend of mine um, was just a few bunks over to me. He's just this really precious soul. Like he's just mm -hmm. a very generous, but soft guy. Mm -hmm. And um, he's, he's more of an artist or a poet. And mm -hmm. he took the leap of faith. To do he came in with this hair, like locks, like Jesus. And I'm like, Oh, that guy's cool. And I remember seeing him like at the like the intro or whatever you call it, like the in process mm -hmm. uh, portion of the the boot camp and uh, where everyone is still kind of like you could still run mm -hmm. if you wanted to because yeah. you're not in the army yet. Um you're only on the conveyor belt to be in the army. And uh this kid walks in with these luscious locks and it turns mm -hmm. out now that we're like best friends and I'd consider him a brother. So, uh, there's like that, you know, walking in, you just have a bunch of different wakes of life mm -hmm. and, you know, instantly you're all, you know, you have that inherent fear cause you don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're all, you know, embarrassed, you know, humility. So your, your hair is buzzed off luscious locks gone beard gone any kind of character you thought you had gone and mm. individually at least they try to um so then like so from the get-go they try to strip you down and literally like day one or two or three mm. you know the red phase of basic training once you get past the the initial in process um which took about two weeks so it was like two weeks of like <laughs> what are we doing Not much yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, moving forward, they literally have you like stripped down naked. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, we're doing five second showers. You're like, cool. All right. And everyone gets their little soap and I'm sitting there like waving my little willy around like, yeah, I'm like so excited. <laughs> but it's just like everyone else is all scared stiff. I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe I should settle it out a little bit. It's just like, yeah. so like. I miss some of the initial like scarring factor mm. or the intimidation, but nonetheless, I'd hope that the people I went through basic training with were at least like kind of enlightened or, or not really enlightened, but uh, 
at least followed my path of like, oh, say la vie, like whatever, guys, like they're going to smoke you or mm-hmm. they're going to embarrass you, but who cares kind of mentality. And I could tell it, it worked its way around our specific platoon, which is like 40 people, you know, okay. out of like the 180 total. Mm-hmm. And we're all in different bays or whatever. And, uh, but gradually people would come to me. And I remember this conversation where um, a kid's just like, his name was Nathan. I forget his last name. But uh, he's got his glasses on. And we're at like this like outdoor, like um, team building exercise facility mm-hmm. where we literally have to climb this log stature. And we're, we're just both like kind of throwing each other up and climbing this thing as a team to mm-hmm. kind of show them like, hey, together we can accomplish anything. Right. And um, and we're out there, and I'm and I'm trying to explain Buddhism or like what Zen is, and everyone come to me because like mm-hmm. they found out I was a Buddhist because it was what I put on my dog tag, and um, that story was like we're all in line, right? We're all like sit, sitting outside, and they're trying to get people's religious preference mm-hmm. so that it can they send them on the bus to go there desired service every gotcha. sunday mm-hmm. and they're like all right do we have any jewish folk here and there might be two or three i'm like okay do we have any christians a lot of hands do we have any blah 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 and a lot of hands like all right any buddhist and i look around i'm like the only one and everyone's just like at the same time oh like everyone <laughs> had the moment like that's why he's so that's chill guy, yeah yeah so like that kind of stemmed it immediately pulled me out of like mm-hmm the norm like yeah. everyone just knew i'm like dude that's the buddhist guy mm-hmm. and i'm like sitting there eating my my chow out of a bag like on a helmet just kind of all poised up kind of enjoying it like i'm in japan or something but um i had this kid come up to me he's just like yeah there's like a saying out there and he's like asking me about buddhism and zen and all this stuff i'm like they say like you reach true enlightenment when you could get a bee to land in your hand and meanwhile there's a bee flying into my face and i do this kind of like nonchalant like just grab it in my hand and guide it along as i'm talking to him yeah. and he's just like whoa like it was just like the craziest <laughs> coincidence moment, yeah. like it, it wasn't anything but it's just like i was trying to teach him it's all about having a calm cool mind and this bee wanted to challenge me right in the middle of explaining it so i just kind of guided it along so i look out where i have you know coincidences happen not to say i'm any zen master or anything but um as far as like the catastrophic moments that that kind of would like push me to like a a, a higher state or something that was like um, life changing, I guess you can mm-hmm. say. I, I guess they they're very good at slowly creeping up the intensity of just doing more and more dangerous things without really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So you go from that where you're you know, they have like machine guns firing over your head, but mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of a story or two above your head. So it's nothing crazy. Right. But they're shooting, you know, machine guns over your head and you're like low, live rounds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're, you're low crawling underneath it. Mm-hmm. And like you're in this situation where they're sending off flares, you know, grenades are going off. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the D-Day, like it's like a rehearsed D-Day kind of scenario. So it's mm-hmm. like a training exercise. They call it Nick at Night is what they called it. And um, so we get in this old school World War II bunker kind of like straight up trench warfare from World War One style. 
and they're like, all right, all right. And they're yelling at you. I'm like, come on, everybody. And it's like, I got my earplugs in. I'm just like, oh, shoot. And like, it's the middle of the night. I'm kind of tired. And we're all just sitting through here. And then, all right, go. And it's like, machine guns going off. You see all the flares, all the, mm-hmm. a lot of bangs going off. And it's just like, cool. I'm like, all right. So then like, without thought, I'm like, I'm going to become a sea turtle. I am a mama sea turtle. And I have to low crawl through the sand and deliver my eggs. That's what I told myself. So literally I hit the sand. I was like, maybe like five, or I was kind of like in the front side of the mm-hmm. pack, but not quite. So they're pushing us through this trench and we get up to them like, all right, go, go. You got mm-hmm. low crawl, machine guns over your head. Mm-hmm. So it's like, shoot, like if I stand up, I might die, which they're high enough where it wasn't a problem, but nonetheless, sure. the thought of it. It's enough. And I'm sitting there and I'm starting to low crawl and I'm like, I'm not the best at anything. I'm like probably at best the fourth fastest runner in my platoon. Like, you know, I was kind of up front, but I was never the best. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, all right, I'm a mama turtle. I start crawling through the sand so fast that I was just like, I was like passing people dragging on the ground. Like it felt like I was going at insane Mm -hmm. speed, but it's just like, I was just so motivated. I was just so hyped up. And I was just like, I didn't want, you know, to get hurt or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, and I dusted everyone. I'm sitting up there and I'm just like, yeah, woo. I was like number one. Mm-hmm. And it really was just an exercise to just scare you and get you to, mm-hmm. you know, comfortable with the the craziness that goes on. Uh, so like moving forward, I mean, there was many cases to where we had a, go through that scenario of like sheer intensity where our minds are just kind of tunnel vision and we're forced to make, you know, life deciding decisions or at least appear to be. And then um, you go to airborne school and now you start jumping out of airplanes. And it's just yeah. like, that. that's right after basic training. It's right down the street. There you go. And it was was that of, a choice or that's just kind of where you... That was the contract that I chose. Oh, okay. That was my gotcha. pipeline. So not everyone did that. So I go from like basic training right to airborne school, said hi to my parents for 15 minutes and then had to go straight down the street. So again, very little freedom. And uh, and then next thing you know, I'm just like strapping up and looking at all these, these scenarios of like, okay, like you got a reserve parachute. If this parachute doesn't work, you can Mm -hmm. get stuck in it and kind of slap against the side of the plane. You could pass out. What do they do? And it's like all this kind of craziness. And this is like, all right. So then they start you small. They start throwing you off these little towers with like a a harness on and Mm -hmm. you're going down You zip line to the bottom. Someone catches you, so on and so forth. So they just kind of slowly creep up the intensity of like what you're doing. And then, like, I'm in the pack shed for the first day of jumping, and then and then they play this song. It's like, glory, glory, what a glorious way to die. And it's just talking about, like, how people jumped out of the plane, their chute didn't work, and then they landed and broke all their bones and died. Jeez. And I was just like, hey, there we go. <laughs> Whatever, you know? So it's like they found ways to make humor of it and, like, kind of desensitize it by mm-hmm. kind of, making it like hey jimmy didn't make it today oh he died oh yeah he hit the ground broke every bone so it's like oh what a glorious way to go you know so it's uh it's definitely an irony and then from there 
we end up going to Fort Bragg, you know, and then I, I joined the 18 X-ray program, which is to try out to be special forces. Mm. And um, that's where things got really intense because like the whole time you're just like, uh, no one knows what's going on. Like we, we have no idea what's going on. And um, we would show up in our uniforms and, it, and then we met the Green Berets and they're just like, hey guys, you got to do like a PT test, you know, we got to get your scores and write mm. it down. And, and then I was just like, okay, all right, I'm going to do my best here. And I'm doing the run. And like my last two laps, I'm just sprinting full speed. Mm. And this Green Beret guy's like, hey, man, that was a good run. I like your hustle, man. Good work. And I'm just like, these hey. guys are cool. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, I don't have to, they're not drill sergeants. They're not mm-hmm. just like, yeah, good work, man. They're like, cool. All right. I could work with this. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, as soon as the storm clouds start rolling in and we're, we're standing mm. in front of the student building where we were subject to, um, you know, the, the gut feeling just started churning. And then you see this guy that's just with, with demonous blue eyes that can pierce through your heart, kills, kill a fully healthy male at, mm-hmm. at a simple gaze kind of look. Yeah, and he would just tell war stories about him and his war dog went went into like a basement of some building and they cleared out the whole thing with just a pistol, and they come out like just covered with blood and just this just crazy stories mm-hmm. and he'd tell us these stories, but nonetheless, he's like, "All right, guys, you think you had it easy, huh? All right, first thing tomorrow morning, all of you down to Pikes Field." And we're all like, okay. And we have no idea where Pikes Field is. Mm-hmm. We just got a basic training. None of us have cars. Pikes Field is five miles down the road. Mm. So we have to get up. I ran down there with a bunch <laughs> of other friends. Yeah. And we were running five miles down the road to meet up in this this field, which is like a softball field, kind of innocent, kind of friendly little place. And then, like, this this guy comes out of his Durango with these piercing blue eyes. And in the middle of April, or beginning of April, and it's freezing cold still in North Carolina, he's just like, all right, guys, we're going to go for a two-mile run as a group out there. And then we're going to go release run back. And if I catch up to anyone, I'm going to smoke you. And I'm just like, oh, okay, all right, sounds reasonable. <laughs> what does that mean? Is that an understood term? Or? Oh, yeah, so smoking is what is known as hazing, which has been done mm. out of the Army, which is essentially you harass and you physically punish someone to the point of where they're physically breaking down and mentally losing it. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole only point of it, yeah. is to degrade Good you stuff. to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So... Me and the group of ambitious Green Berets, like we all want to be Green Berets. We're like, yeah, I'm willing to do anything. Mm-hmm. So he's just like, all right, let's go down. And we're running in a formation and everyone's all cool. And we're just all running together, kind of a good fast pace. Some people are kind of falling out. And we get up to the top of the hill and, um, you know, and he's just like, all right, everyone front leaning rest. So that's a command to get into the push-up position. Okay. Front leaning rest. Mm-hmm. Sounds peaceful, but it's not. So you're sitting there, mm-hmm. and then he's just like, all right, down. And he holds it. And he's just like, what are we doing here? Do you guys really think you're going to be Green Berets? Well, guess what? You're not. 
I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that doesn't happen. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, oh my goodness, this guy's a lunatic. Right. So it's like movie villain. Yeah. Straight up, like the Joker has manifest into a Green Beret, whatever. Mm. So this guy is out there to destroy us Mm. one by one. And and he's only your friend when you quit out of the program. Hmm. And then he's he's happier than you know a dog in in a field. He's he's just like, oh yeah, it was a kid. You want to voluntarily withdraw from the program? No problem, man. Good good work for you for quitting. Like you know, it's just like, holy smokes! And all of us are in the background still trying to hold a, a mm-hmm. push up position like a plank. And yeah. we're just in there. He's like, did I say you could sag? Did I say you could say, run around the tree? And then whatever, we all have to get up and sprint around this tree and come back down. And we're all like, ah, ah. And then one day he goes up to a guy. He's like, he's tremoring like this. Mm. And it's funny now. It's hilarious. And he's tremoring. He's just like, what's going on with you? And he's just like, I'm having muscle failure. Sorry. And he's just like. You can't say that. <laughs> He's like, muscle failure? You're having muscle failure? He's like, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> he's just trembling. Mm. And I was just like, oh, shoot. He's like, is anyone else having muscle failure? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> We're all doing good. I'm like, okay, all right. And then he like has us get up, sprint around the tree, reset. We're doing all these flutter kicks. And we're like picking up rucksacks and slam mm. down, like smoking us now completely because one guy's having muscle failure i'm like mm. yeah you know what this guy's gonna get you killed while you're out there in the middle fighting bad guys this guy's just gonna have muscle failure <laughs> i was like oh my goodness like yeah valid point <laughs> right now i don't care so like those kind of moments really challenged like what do i have in me mm-hmm. And the rucksacks. So just imagine a backpack, you know, camping style, you know, a little frame on it, shoulder straps. You could go around your waist, mm-hmm. go around your chest. So they're designed to carry a lot of weight. And um, so r- ruck running was a thing that was SF, Special Forces kind of training. Mm-hmm. That, that's what you do. You just live out of a backpack and you got to run with it. Mm-hmm. The whole basic army, the regular army, does not promote running with a rucksack on. So, like, I was not conditioned for it. You know, my legs weren't really built for it. I'm more of a runner or sprinter. Mm-hmm. So, like, we had our first rucksack. And we're, like, all going down there as a team. We get smoked, whatever. We go through the whole shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds head start. And then if I catch up to anyone, I'm going to smoke you. And it's just like, oh, God. Like, you know, so I'm, I'm frightened. Yeah. So I literally, I'm like, all right, I'm looking at my buddy. I'm just like, all right, we're going to dump our, our water sack to get a little rid of some of this mm-hmm. weight. So I'm like, I set it up. I put my water camel back on the front. I had it upside down. So the, the opening was at the bottom. Mm-hmm. 
and I had my rucksack on the back and I'm like, he's like, all right, everyone on the line. I'm sitting there crouched down like a sumo wrestler and my <laughs> friend Travis right next to me. And we're like, all right, we're going to do it. So he says, all right, ready, go. And we open up the thing and we're just sitting there crouching. Water just spews out of our chest mm-hmm. and spills all over our crotch. <laughs> and I look back at him and he's just like giving me this weird look with his eyes raised. And it's just like giving me like that, the, mm-hmm. the people's eyebrow or whatever right. from the rock. And it was just like, I was like, oh, shoot. He's just like. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, he was just like so confused. Never I seen like, that before. I just started sprinting because I had no idea like how to beat this guy mm-hmm. in a ruck run. So I'm sprinting down this hill hoping that like I could just beat him. Mm-hmm. And granted, he caught up to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, with this head start, with every trick and whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, rumor has it, he only had like a pillow in his backpack, but no, maybe really. we'll get to that yeah. later. But, uh, but anyways, he's just nonchalant and just running real cool, calm, cool day loud. Just mm-hmm. like, yeah, life is good. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, <gasps> last little quarter mile stretch uphill. And dude, like he just booked it. Mm-hmm. He was just so cool and calm. Conquered the last hill. And I rolled up. I'm like, dude, I can't catch up to him. I burnt myself out mm-hmm. on that first little sprint down the hill to where I had nothing left. So he gets us all lined up, all the losers lined up. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, you guys get breakfast. You guys that won, good, go get breakfast. Oh, so some people did. Yeah. Okay. I got to deal with these guys. And I was on the losing half of the, and I, I didn't want to be on the losing half. So I'm sitting there and I'm on the fence. He's like, on the fence. So we do the horse position where you back against the fence mm-hmm. and you got the, your feet in the L position. So you're just kind of keeping yourself oh, up. Gotcha. And um, some like wall sits pretty much on a mm-hmm. fence. And, and he's just like, all right, around the pole. So if you can imagine a baseball diamond on the outside of a, where the fence where if you hit it over it, it was a home run. Mm-hmm. We'd start from one foul post, run, sprint around the other one, and then okay. come back and then go back to another wall sit. Mm-hmm. And then he's just like, all right, first one back, I'll let go. So we're all, there's like 20 of us. We're like, holy shoot. So now I'm trying to sprint and there's super fast people. And then like the guy that ends up winning Mm -hmm. that round was the one that hurt his ankle and and didn't run the ruck. He's like, oh, my ankle hurts. Uh, I I can't, I can't run. It's a muscle failure. Yeah. All sudden like full on sprint, fresh legs and and beats everyone Mm -hmm. because like his ankle hurt. Can it ruck? Or whatever excuse he made. So then I was just like, everyone was really mad at him. This is like, nah, dude, don't do that to us. So then like, I'm like, hey, dude, I got to stay in this. So I kept kept sprinting, kept sprinting, but getting slower and slower each time. Mm-hmm. Finally, I got my break after like seven of these things to mm-hmm. where I was the, the fastest guy back. I was like, all right, you're done. Get out of here. Go get breakfast. It's like 830. I have to be back in uniform and in formation by nine o'clock. Jeez. Just beyond all odds. No breakfast, yeah. nothing. So like... Moving forward, there was the across the street, which is like the later day. This is just morning. Mm. You know, this is morning time. And the later half of the day, like on Thursdays especially, 
he'll uh, he'll be sitting in his office and we'll be all in a formation in perfect square you know a little a half a foot apart, apart from one another and we're just sitting there standing in front of this tree and then he would just have his feet dangling out of this this <laughs> office window mm-hmm. and then he's just like guess what we're going across the street today and i was just like what does that mean dude mm-hmm. so it's like three maybe three o'clock right you know still time to embrace the day you know he's still sure. got a lot going on so He's got his feet dangling. He's just like, all right, when I get down there, we're going to run across the street and we're going to we're gonna see who's really got the guts to stay in. And so I'm like, oh, shoot. Now, this guy strikes fear in me because you don't yeah, know clearly. what this psychopath is going to yeah, do. He's got it. So we sprint across the street and it's this big, long path. And then, you know, there's like a, a utility fence where it's got like a utility pole and all the kind of power coming out of it. So he has us do like kind of sprints around that, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, all right, if you don't make it in a minute 33 around this fence, you know, I'm going to smoke you. And then it's just like, all right, we all do it. Mm-hmm. And then like anyone who was falling behind got smoked, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, oh, shoot, I was fast enough to make it. So he did that until he got like five people to quit. So it's like, all right, let's, uh, let's start, you know, let's start bear crawling out all the way to the back of the woods and we're like oh shoot so we're like now starting bear crawl which is you get on all four and you're walking around granted i did a giraffe walk because i was so used to yoga i could literally just put my palms on the ground and walk like a downward dog and it was rather comfortable yeah so it was a relief position for me so we get kind of bear walked halfway out which mm-hmm. is about a mile into the woods. Oh, God. And then the second half of the mile, we did a duck walk. So now we're all crouched down. And I look back at my good friend, Matt, and he's just like, I can't do this. My knees can't take this. Mm-hmm. He's like, IV dub. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you need as much as your friends to make it just mm-hmm. so you can survive. And then after that, we hit this wall, literally a wall, this mountainous wall that we had to just go up and run until literally he chose to pick you off of the hill. Mm -hmm. So like the pitch was like, maybe like there's like 45 degrees. This thing was like, maybe like 60 degrees. Jeez. And there's like loose rock. So are you like scrambling up this? Oh yeah. Yeah, So it's like you sprint up it. Mm -hmm. It's about like two stories tall, maybe, maybe a story and a half. It's it's pretty tall. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's clearly I got all the loose soil and rock from rain and whatever. So we can run up there and then we have to run through this little path in the woods. And it's like just a tiny little loop. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, you guys are going to run this until I decide to stop. We ran that for an hour and a half, sprinting up the hill, falling down the hill. And he didn't care how hot you were. He didn't care the last time he took a sip of water. Mm-hmm. And one by one, people kept dropping like flies. It was on this wall-like hill that I came to realize, I'm like, if I continue, I will die. Like, I'm not going to survive this. Mm-hmm. And that little samurai moment came in. It's just like, hey, man, just just let it go, man. Mm-hmm. Just go with it, dude. And I'm like, okay, I let it go. Mm-hmm. I stopped caring after that. I got so numb, I got so like beaten down that I'm like, I don't care anymore. 
Like, you mm-hmm. know, it's just like, this guy's going to torture me no matter what. I'm going to enjoy it. So then I started just relaxing. I caught my breath. Mm-hmm. It got easy. I was passing people. Next thing you know, he noticed. All right, you off the wall. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, thank God. The last guy to come off the wall, maybe 15, 20 minutes later, he comes rolling down and he's looking like a Looney Tune character. <laughs> character and he's like <laughs> <laughs> arms flail he's like it's just like he's like dude you okay he's like he's like just quit man he's like never and he starts screaming never wow. and he's like falling down and everyone's like dude drink water man so he just started forcing water in his mouth and he he didn't make it the next day but yeah. granted we admire was he alright yeah, yeah I mean he was alright but uh <laughs> for whatever that's worth yeah so uh so there was a, a a cesspool back there that at some point some green berets made their students dig out and mm-hmm. they put this kind of uh you know put uh what are those called? sandbags around it made a pool mm-hmm. that was like a sludge feces throw up mm-hmm. urine like all that just festered in this because it was students getting smoked mm-hmm. he's like well, all right, guys, since you did a good job running today, why don't we just take a little dip in the pool? And all of us with such ambition to, like, spite this guy's, like, mm-hmm. torture on us, we all dove in, literally head first, swimming in it. And he's just, like, again, with his eyebrow raised, like, wow, I've never seen anyone do that before. And we're, like, literally, like, swimming in it. And he's just, like, all right. And then, like, he'll smoke us in there. But at this point, it felt good because the water was freezing. Mm-hmm. We were overheated. So, it was just like, yeah, no one else was going to quit after this. But he made us do it anyways. And then, to kill the cherry on top for this last little smoke session, he's like, all right, we're going to do koala carries. Everyone partner up. So, everyone partnered up. I picked up kind of a, a tall lean kid mm-hmm. that had, like, great athletic running ability like he's just a super fast runner you'd crush a two mile in like 12 minutes maybe mm-hmm. in 11 minutes like super fast yeah so i'm like yo dude all right he's like right next to me i'm like i i got you i'm like i'm gonna do the second half so you do the first half because it was gonna be easier for him i could tell our body weight was a little different so um granted we had this really short guy we'll call you know homes Mm-hmm. And, you know, granted, we, we gave him a meatwad voice. And then there's this really tall guy named Garcia. Like, he was twice the size of the other kid. Mm-hmm. For some reason, no one wanted to partner up with Garcia. But no one grabbed the petite homes. Ah. So those two ended up being partners. Now, we'll get Tragic. back to that later. So the koala carry, we wrap around your partner's waist and you hang around them like a little koala bear Mm -hmm. and they have to on all fours bear crawl up the wall which Mm -hmm. is extremely hard so um my guy gets up there he's struggling he's just like oh shoot and i'm like i know i weigh more than him so i'm like dude you i got you man just keep going and i was feeding positivity in his head i'm like you got this man just one step at a time one step at a time and once we got halfway he's like all right switch I'm like, perfect, I got you. So he wrapped around me and I literally, because of my flexibility, I draft walked up there and Mm -hmm. finished it in no time. Got done for the day, come running down the hill. All right, 
All right. 30 to 45 minutes later, we're waiting to get chow at the chow hall. It's about mm. 5.30. And Garcia and Holmes are stuck on the hill. No. And the whole time he's like, I'm trying to fall off stuck here. <laughs> and he's just like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. For an hour to 40 minutes straight of these two groaning, moaning, trying to get up this mm-hmm. hill. This guy sat up front. We all looked at the hill. He had his back to them. He was like, all right, who's got questions for me, man? Any questions? So it became a cue of A, like of how cool this guy was. Mm-hmm. And the whole time, those two were struggling to get up that hill. And the only reason why I did the Q&A was to stop us from making chow. Mm-hmm. So we sat there and the whole 30 minutes it took for the Garcia and Holmes to make it up the hill. Mm-hmm. He burned up our time successfully. It didn't matter if they made it or not. They finally made it above, came down, blah, 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 so on and so forth. And then as soon as six o'clock came, he looked at it. He's like, well, all right, you guys are good for the day. I'll see you tomorrow at Pike's Field. And we're like, holy smokes. And like, we survived. Mm-hmm. After that, everything was easy. Like it was such a trial, a test of of character and like, you know, trust and loyalty with your brothers and arm and so on and so forth. And like, again, it was another scenario where it's like you, you had to just let go of like holding mm-hmm. on to comfort. Like, you know, it's just like, I'll never experience comfort again. Like, you know, I'm from here on out, I'm just going to get tortured until I'm out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's only when you accept that did, does it ever get easier. And it's, it's such a, such a simple concept, but such a hard one to, a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. And um, I would say that has really been a very challenging or a very you know, challenging moment that has impacted me personally mm-hmm. for a long time. And I think will resonate for the rest of my life as far as like experiences go. Yeah. I'm sure it has permanently changed your orientation to, to discomfort of, of any kind, you know, that right. it, just even the resistance at play that often is the, the pain itself mm. is the, the pulling back from it and the fighting it, which is so hard to embrace in, in a moment of pain, you know, to, to recognize that it, that acceptance of it is the way out mm-hmm. is, it seems very, you know, unintuitive and right. it's incredibly frustrating to hear that when you are in pain, right. You know, that it's almost kind of, that there's an easy way out if you just just accept it like what was that supposed to be right but it seems as though you get to a certain point where there is no option you know Mm -hmm. if you are electing to have the perspective that you have and to simply not quit if you're not going to at a certain point it seems as though that's kind of the only way through and that Mm. even you know whoever that the guy was in charge in that scenario was even aware of that. It seemed that for you, when you had that moment, he kind of recognized it where he saw you kind of stop resisting. He saw Mm. you ease up and relax into it a little bit. And he was like, Oh, well he's not, 
He's not suffering anymore. Let's get him out. His suffering's over. This I is will, no fun. Yeah. yeah. You're enjoying this? Let me take that little joy out. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. And I know it's, it's all kind of fresh for you, right? You know, you, it's only been a very short amount of time that you've been somewhat removed from it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I said before, I think it'll just be interesting to see how, how it plays out over time and, and how these experiences and, and insights you've gained through them will, will map onto, you know, the, the rest of your life and whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Um, but I'm curious, I guess, beyond even what you've just mentioned, and maybe you don't feel about this way about it specifically, but are there any, we'll just say beyond the military formative experiences in your life that you feel you've benefited from, but that you wouldn't necessarily like to repeat or go back to? Oh yeah. That's a good one. Um, let's see here. Like almost like something catastrophic almost to where it's like, Oh, I'm glad I experienced it, but I will never, Mm-hmm. Yeah. You wouldn't redo it or relive it. Well, I guess overall the the army is one of them, but I, I guess I wouldn't say my my physical torture, like you know, physically challenging myself, isn't over. Mm-hmm. No, I don't have to do it for someone else. I could do it for myself. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of one of them. But um, I, I guess um, let's see here. I guess I haven't really truly experienced any one thing that, I mean, obviously like when I'm out there like camping or whatever, where, you know, I I was Mm ill-equipped and like I was freezing to death, like out there, at least it felt like it. Um, Like I would never subject myself to that kind of treatment. And, but I feel as if everything that I've done to the best of my memory, I, I, I definitely would do again. Mm-hmm. And, um, not that it, it's like petting a, a cat the wrong way and it biting you. Mm-hmm. You want to say, I'm, like, I'm never petting that cat again. Like, you know, right. I, I think my kind of inherent stubbornness is like, I'm going to pet that cat again, but I'm going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. So it's uh it's like my inherent stubbornness that prevents me from truly being discouraged from any moment um to where I would never never do like oh never again like mm-hmm. I, I want to reapproach it with a completely new or different angle so that that's a good question and that's aside from like little moments to where like the innocence have been pulled out, like mm-hmm. where my, my naivety, uh, you know, I think I would openly accept all those challenges again, but with, with definitely my new heightened mm-hmm. perspective, like, like that whole, like if you were 10 years old again and you could travel back, what would you tell yourself mm-hmm. kind of scenario? And I think my optimism is kind of always wanting to welcome that scenario again. Mm-hmm. So I could, conquer it like i feel as if those those kind of one mishaps like oh like even oh i left my car unlocked and it got broken into i'm like oh what 
why didn't I just lock it? I wish I could go back in time. Like there's moments where I wish I had done something different, mm-hmm. but it, that's the message that you have to kind of, you know what? I welcome that to happen again because like, I'm going to learn and I'm not going to leave my car in that, that vulnerability or, you know, that's just a, an example. But I feel as if, if you haven't learned from the lesson that you, you may be more prone to avoid it as mm-hmm. opposed to welcoming it again. Yeah. Yeah. I actually asked that question in part because I figured you, knowing your perspective, you might answer it that way. Oh. <laughs> and I was curious if there was maybe anything I wasn't aware of that in spite of that still kind of transcended that perspective that it was just something that uh, was uniquely, I don't know. It's hard to frame in a way that really speaks to what it might be. And and for me personally, I I maybe have a handful of experiences that I, I can draw on, but I, to be fair, hold kind of a similar philosophy that you know whatever it took to get me here was worth it Mm -hmm. and but i feel like certain things and granted i feel like i've maybe been lucky enough to not experience anything that i would put on that level where it's like sure it it made me who i am and i learned from it but i wouldn't go back to you know even if it was a matter of being able to go back to it with my current perspective that Mm -hmm. I feel like for some people, whatever that may be, there's, there's something or a handful of experiences that you can acknowledge something positive came from them, but the experience itself just didn't necessarily seem worth revisiting. Right. right, right. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I said, I figured knowing you're kind of, Buddhist middle way sort of seeing things that, you know, there's, there's something to be gained from, from any experience and and the positive and the negative is, is more framing than anything else. Right. And nothing really inherently carries that. But one thing I did want to ask just before we kind of wrap things up here is one that I've, I, I like to ask, at the end of things, just to kind of give our audience something to, to hang on to, to look into potentially. If you could snap your fingers and, and just allow everyone on this planet to be aware of a fact, a statistic, or a piece of research, anything on that front, does anything come to mind? Uh, while you're asking that, I kind of was picturing, like, okay, all right, put myself in that scenario. And um, I was kind of dwelling on the the concept of hope i know that's a word we use it's Mm -hmm. thrown out there very loosely uh it's thrown out there in star wars like oh all we can do is rely on hope Mm -hmm. you know but um if i can you know do an instant gratification of everyone's you know vast knowledge and get them to all realize um that hope isn't about just wishing. It's not like throwing a penny in a well, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is kind of the romanticized version of it. Like, oh, we could all like just throw our pennies in this well and just hope that it happens. Right. But I think hope is the the essence of the Pandora box, and the Pandora box was full of all the evil. And we could pull twenty twenty and say 
oh, 2020, the worst year ever invented. Like mm -hmm. Pandora's box was open and all the demons mm -hmm. came out. But along with all those demons was hope. And, you know, looking back on that, like you're talking about the Greeks coming up with this, you know, analogy, this kind of folklore to try to gear all the evils in the world and the potential of this little spirit that was also with the demons. Mm -hmm. The one little spirit that could conquer them all, mm -hmm. right? That's the balance. You have every problem in the world is being, you know, counterbalanced by this one little potential. And from the best of my research um, or like just reading up on it, is that scientists have actually tried to, you know, neurologically study the human mind under the condition of hope mm -hmm. to where people that have lost hope in survival situations, that people who surely just gave up on themselves would, would significantly suffer a lot more and demise, would, would die. Or, mm -hmm. you know, the outcome would always lead to the worst, you know, uh, fatal outcome. Mm -hmm. And that they were saying that there is an actual unexplained miraculous uh, event that happens neurologically mm. when the human mind is, is, is open to hope. It kind of reprograms and kind of redistributes like the, the focus of the mind to opening to anything being possible mm -hmm. as opposed to dwelling and closing and getting, you know, encumbered by the the possibilities and everything else and kind of choked out mm -hmm. and then your body will collapse and fall suit um so if if i had magical powers and there was a way to fully know the potential mm -hmm. of hope that would be what i want everyone in the world including myself to know mm -hmm. is the true power of hope yeah no i think that's that's super insightful and and a great thing to leave people with, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's hard to hold on to and it's hard to, it's hard to remember mm -hmm. at times how, even if you want to look at it in more practical terms, even just the neuroplasticity of our brains and how, how fluid everything can be and how resilient even just our bodies can be and how powerful even the placebo effect can mm -hmm. be things like that, that still, as you said, totally mystify us from a scientific perspective. And we really don't understand our bodies, especially our consciousness on even the most basic levels. And so we really, we, we think we have a decent framework to work from. Mm -hmm. and I think it's important to have that to some extent so that we can operate in the world. But as you put it, there's, there's always hope. And a lot of that comes from the fact that we just don't know everything, you know, we don't really know anything. And so if you can acknowledge that we are not formally bound by anything, anything could be possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess we'll leave it at that. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to, to have this conversation and uh, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you. This was a pleasure. And, Hey, I look forward for more in the future. Yeah, we'll definitely check back in soon, and uh, we'll we'll see where the where the journey goes next. Sounds good. <laughs> All right.